Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Slow Home Podcast. My name is Brooke McCallery and I am your host. Uh, my husband, Ben, is my co-host and producer extraordinaire. Thank you, darling. You're welcome. Um, today, I have a really, just a fantastic conversation uh, for you with a man named Eric Zimmer. Who is Eric Zimmer? What a cool name. It's a cool name. Mm. It's a really cool name. He's a really cool guy. I, I had such a, so much fun talking to him and it's just, you know, you, you speak to someone, you just connect and you're like, I could sit over, you know, sit down and talk to you for hours. Could you, say, you do say that a lot on your podcast. Do I? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that means that it's good. It's because I have the best guests in the world. Exactly. Um, but Eric is actually the host of a podcast called The One You Feed, which is fast becoming one of my favorites he's um he sits down and he talks about uh you know life and change and people who are working really hard to create meaningful lives and um i would highly highly recommend that you check it out um it's kind of a long form show and um but he's he's fabulous and it's not just you who um rates it as well wasn't it rated like Top five or top ten best podcasts from iTunes last year. Yeah, it was one of the 2014's best podcasts mm. with some pretty epic, um, you know, company. He's with Marion, Mar- Mar- Marin, Mark Marin, and, Mark Marin and- uh, a handful of other really yeah. excellent podcasts, and well deserved. It's yeah. Anyway, I will not continue to to blather my enthusiasm enthusiasm he's just very good and i would recommend that you check it out you can also um find his website at oneufeed.net and also on twitter you can find him at uh, oneufeed and um yeah i can't can't recommend him highly enough we um we kind of chat about a lot of different things he's had a very interesting life he does a lot now um he works with you know people one-on-one but he's also started a solar energy company, runs the podcast and has, you know, fingers in quite a few pies. He's also a, a really keen musician, uh, a dad and um, a big fan of dogs, I believe. So And meditation. And meditation. And he and I, we, we, we talk about perfectionism and uh, comparison as well, which is something that it's, you know, it's not specifically tied to simplifying, but I think it's something that people really struggle with in today's more and faster and louder and look at me kind of world, particularly on social media. But he has some really interesting insights into why he doesn't actually think social media is the problem. Um, and that's something that I'm asked about a lot. So he's going to have something for, for people who really struggle with that. But um, he also has some amazing insights into, you know, what it takes to uh, make changes you know, how to start, first of all, but also then how to continue and make these changes over time and how people that he's spoken to and also himself have managed to, you know, turn life around and, uh, yeah, make something really fascinating and incredible. It's a great, it's a great discussion. So, um, yeah, we, we should get, get into it. But before, um, a word from our sponsors. Uh, today's show is sponsored by audible.com. You can um, access 180,000 audiobooks and you can play them on your, your iPhone, your Kindle, any other device that you may have. And today you can get a free audiobook of your choice if you head to audibletrial.com slash slow. 
Um, and one of the books that I would recommend is The Icarus Deception by Seth Godin. It's um, an audio book that both you and I have and I've listened to it multiple times. It's really it's really worth a listen, not only for people who are creative but for people who are looking to you know, make their mark. And I think it's actually a really good tie into today's episode. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, it's one of those books, The Icarus Deception, that you can actually go back to and listen to more. Mm. Um, you can you know, go away for a month and come back to it as well. It's... It's just so full of mindfulness um, thought by the master that is Seth Godin. Yeah, so head to audibletrial.com slash slow and you can grab your your copy. And um, before we jump in, just today's show notes as well. You can find links to a lot of Eric's work and uh, quite a few of the people that he mentions in our conversation at slowyourhome.com slash 16. Enjoy our conversation. Enjoy the show. Thanks, Brooke. Thanks for having me on. Um, I, I've got to say, I, I absolutely am loving your show, um, The One You Feed. It's one of my, my new found favorite podcasts, and I've gone all the way back to start listening to it from the beginning. It's, uh, it's, it's such a great show. I really love what you're doing. Well, thank you so much. I yeah. appreciate that. From it's, a fellow podcast host, <laughs> that, that means a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a rapidly growing you know, thing at the moment. I feel like everyone's just diving in and exploring and, and making some amazing shows, asking some really good questions. So it's, uh, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. But I've got to it admit, um, when I first saw, before I even started listening to your show, when I first saw the artwork, the cover art for it, I had made some assumptions about what it would be on. Um, so for those who haven't seen it, the, uh, the cover art is it's made up of the face of two wolves. One's black and snarling and the other one's white and peaceful looking. Um, and when I saw it, I immediately thought that the show was about mental health because I'm not sure if you do in the States, but in Australia we refer, we refer to uh, depression as the black dog. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my immediate assumption. And I guess after I listened to the first few episodes, I'm not too far off. No, but, um, no. So the idea behind The One You Feed is is really more about the two wolves inside all of us. But could you tell me just a little bit about that parable of the two wolves? Sure. Um, it, it is called, I think, the parable of two wolves. Um, you often hear it attributed to, uh, you know, an Indian, the Cherokee Indians, or, but I've never been able to find a true attribution. Um, there's a bunch of stuff out there, half, half researched, but so nobody really knows where it came from originally. Um, but the parable is in the parable, there's a grandfather who's talking with his grandson and he says, in life, there are two wolves that are inside of us that are always at battle. One is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness and bravery and love. And the other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the grandson stops and he thinks about it for a second and looks up at his grandfather and says, well, grandfather, which one's going to win? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. So that's the parable. The show is an interview show where I ask people essentially how do they feed the good wolf in their own life or how does that parable apply to the work that they do? I mean, from there you can go so many different directions. Uh, when, <laughs> yeah. like, and that's the breadth of, of the stories that you uncover in your show. It's phenomenal. 
Um, when did you first hear about that story? Hear about like the, the two the two wolves? Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't tell you exactly when, but I'm um, I talk about it on the show fairly regularly. You know, I'm I'm in recovery from alcohol and drugs, and so um, I heard that story relatively early on, and so this is you know, 20 years ago, maybe 18 years ago, something like that. I heard that story relatively early on in, um, like a recovery support group. And it's obvious why for alcoholics or addicts, that parable has a tremendous amount of power. Um, because in, in that case, the bad wolf is particularly, uh, destructive. Mm. And when you first heard it, I mean, I imagine when I first heard it, it really had a, an impact on me. It's, it's quite a, a cutting kind of way of thinking about what we can do to ourselves, um, you know, both in good and bad ways. But did it have an impact on you straight away? Yeah, I think it did. I mean, I think what makes something a parable that actually lasts is it's able to tell an awful lot of truth in a very short amount of time. And that's what I like Mm -hmm. about one of the things I like about that parable is it's almost immediately self-evident, like, oh, this is about the choices that I make in my life. I mean, I, the quality of my life is somewhat dependent on how I choose to focus, where I cho- choose to spend my energy. So, yeah, I, I loved it. I thought it was very, um, very profound. And I, and I also really like the fact that it's, it speaks to what I think is a pretty human condition, which is that we do have both these things in us. They're not likely to go away. It's not like this is a, you know, that the, you give the good wolf a little food and he's going to slaughter the bad wolf. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, it's, it's pretty close. And so um, it's not about getting rid of the bad wolf. It's not, not about always being good. It's about just trying to put more attention and focus on those better parts of ourselves that lead to, you know, the things I talked about, like happiness or peace or kindness. Yeah, it was interesting. I was talking to my husband about this last night when I was preparing some questions. And, um, you know, I, I explained the parable to him and he said, well, how do you, how do you kill the, the bad wolf? <laughs> I, you know, to me, I said, oh, well, I don't really want to kill the bad wolf. It's part, it is part of who we are. And while I wouldn't want to give it free reign, you know, um, I, I don't know that it's feasible to think that I could or would want to necessarily expel all that energy into getting rid of the bad wolf when we could actually just put that energy into feeding the good wolf. And, you know, and that's, I know a lot of what you talk about, which is, you know, consciously choosing to feed that wolf to, you know, to bring in things that are going to, to be nourishing to us and help us improve and that kind of thing. Um, so I know you talk a lot about practicing meditation and mindfulness. Uh, how long have you been practicing for? Well, I start, you know, I first started learning about meditation probably 20 God, I'm starting. This makes me feel old. Twenty-five years ago, <laughs> so I've been meditating to some degree or other for for twenty-five years. I would say that, and some periods have been more intense than others. But the last two years have been um, really, really focused, as in like a daily practice, every day kind of thing. Like I finally, I just used to be more sporadic. I'd go through spurts where I meditate a lot, and then I wouldn't for a while, and then I would a lot. And this time, I've taken much more of a. I'm going to meditate a little bit every day versus I'm going to try. I think I, I fell into what a lot of people try. Like I'm going to sit for 45 minutes every time and that just never worked. Um, or it would be sustainable for a week or two weeks, but not for a year. Yeah. I, I find that's the case with a lot of changes. I'm sure yes. you've heard that too. I mean, 
trying to jump in and run a half marathon in the first week of, of jogging, you know, people really uh, exert themselves in trying to make these huge changes when at least personally and in a lot of people I've spoken with, it's those small, uh, consistent and conscious changes over time that kind of made it, make a big difference. Is that That's obviously something that you've found yeah. too, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that is, A, we talk about it on the show a lot. It's come up from a lot of guests and in the one-on-one work that I'm doing with people, that is such a common problem that we all struggle with is that this sort of, sometimes I refer to as the all or nothing attitude, right? I'm either going to meditate for an hour a day or I don't do it all. I'm going to make it to the gym for an hour a day or I don't. Whereas, you know, five minutes a day done every day is, is a lot more effective. And I think that breaking into those small steps is really useful for, for a variety of reasons. I mean, one of them is it's just easier to start. If you've only got to do five minutes, you can do that. And that old cliche of success breeds success is true. When, you, when you're able to say, I'm going to do this, and then you do it, that, that, provides a, that provides a good feeling. And that good feeling builds, so it becomes easier to do it. And then you can expand the time if you want. We, so many of us do the opposite, which is we start too big, like you said, and then we're not successful and we don't feel good about it and we get discouraged and we quit. So, you know, I'm always amazed by, I always say like what a series of small steps taken consistently can accomplish is pretty amazing. Absolutely. You know, and I think it, part of it goes back to, um, you know, our generation of instant gratification as well, you know. Um, we often think, well, I want to make this change, but I also want to see the result immediately. You know, I want to lose 10 kilos or be able to run half marathon or be able to sit and meditate for an hour or whatever it is. You know, we, um, we, <laughs> we want the result, but sometimes being faced with the, you know, the, the slower road, it's something that we fight against. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think we, we do. I think there's some... I think some of it is some people it's perfectionism, right? It's like, oh, if I can't do this really great, I just don't do it at all, which is a really difficult thing to ever expand your life with that attitude because most of us can't do much of anything very well when we start it. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, perfectionism is uh, part of the white wolf or the black wolf? Um, I think if you were to define perfectionism in the sense of like, I guess it depends on how you, I guess it depends on how you define it. I think perfectionism is often used to describe a state where you're so obsessed on getting something exactly perfect that you become paralyzed by it, by you can't get things done or you give up too easily or you're always dissatisfied. So in that way, I think it's really more, you know, the bad wolf. Um, I think caring deeply about what you're doing and want it to be the best it can done in the right spirit and to right degree is obviously a, a, a good thing. Um, one of the things about that wolf parable, if I have one quibble with it, is I don't necessarily like the words good and bad mm-hmm. um, because it's not, I don't really think of it as moralistic. I think of it as more, um, you know, effective or less effective or skillful or less skillful in bringing about a life that's worth living. Um, but talking about a skillful wolf is just really not very engaging. So <laughs> it kind of takes the teeth out of the metaphor, so to speak. So, but, but I always, you know, I, so I don't think that these things are morally good or bad, like perfectionism or, um, you know, building good habits or those, those things aren't, and I'm not, I don't 
venture into moral territory, but I think mm. they are more effective or more skillful. So I think perfectionism, I think, perf- I think anything that's a strength of ours, at least for me, is both can be an incredible strength and an absolute Achilles heel to me, the same thing. And so I think perfectionism is an example of that. Taken to one extreme, I think it can be debilitating. Um, but at the same time, somebody who really cares about what they do and focuses on the details to get them right, you know, that, that matters. So I think it depends. I, you just so eloquently summed up what I was trying to say to my husband, you know, last night when he was saying, well, how do you kill the bad wolf? And I'm like, I don't really want to uh, because it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's so easy. The, the, the line is so fine between being a detriment and being a strength, isn't it? So, it's, yeah. yeah, I guess it's all in how we, we frame it and how we choose to let it impact us as well because, I mean, you can sit on something for years and years and years and, and just berate yourself, yourself that it's not perfect or you can strive for the best and then, you know, let it, let it go. Then, yep. And I think that um, I think that I totally forgot what I was going to say. So <laughs> onward. I'm glad that doesn't just happen to me. <laughs> no, unfortunately. Um, so how, going back to the idea of small steps with meditation or, you know, mindfulness, for example, how would you recommend someone who, who says, I'm too busy, I'm too stressed, you know, life is too full for me to sit down and do this even for five minutes? How would you um, recommend someone start well, I, I mean, I think there's a few things there. I mean, I think one is you have to believe in or at least be willing to think that there's a real benefit there. Because if you don't, why are you going to sit down and do it? Sure. If you do believe there's a benefit there, then it's a matter of prioritization. We had a guest on who said something that really stuck with me. He said, try replacing I'm too busy to do that with I'm not prioritizing that right mm-hmm. now and decide and look at it that way because that's really the truth. Um you know, and anytime I start thinking I'm too busy to do something for five minutes or 10 minutes, I remind myself that like the president of the United States works out every day. I mean, there is no conceivable way that my schedule is worse than his um, or that things that I have to do are more important. There's no way to think it. that's that's crazy. So I think that that stuff is often it's um, I, I don't like the word excuse. That's a little bit harsh. But I think if we are a little bit more deliberate at looking at where we spend our time, we can find the time. And the thing about something like meditation for me is, again, no instant results. It's not a magic bullet. But over time, I think that five minutes that I put in or 15 minutes that I put in is rewarded by more effectiveness the other 23 and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Well, some of them I'm sleeping, but you get the point. I mean, it's it's a it's an investment. But if we don't believe that, if it's something that we say to ourselves, well, I should do that or... but it. That's harder, but if we believe it's really going to add value to our life, then it's a matter of looking at the priorities and um, finding the time. I think the first thing that goes for a lot of us who are busy and driven and ambitious, the very first thing that goes is the doing the things that maintain us physically, emotionally, mentally. We, we drop those things. And I think the problem there is it's, it's short-term effectiveness um, – versus or you know short-term efficiency versus long-term effectiveness is what happens because we start to we're not as effective we're not as clear thinking we become more tired 
we become grouchier. Our, the, the overall part of our life doesn't hold up as well. Whereas when we're taking care of ourselves with that stuff, I think that we're better able to accomplish the other things in our life. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I know just from my, my personal experience when I was, you know, things were their worst in my life, that was the first thing that went, you know, looking after myself in any kind of way. It was, um, you know, being quote unquote too busy to do that. That's not important enough. And absolutely paid, you know, a very steep price uh, when I had a massive breakdown and you know, really struggled for quite a few years. And it wasn't yep. until you take that time to reinvest, even again, small things, really small things can make such a huge difference. And uh, yeah, I know that's a, a trap that I won't be falling into again, because the benefits are enormous. It's just priorities, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that um, it is, you can start really small. I mean, I built the, the current meditation practice I have. I finally was like, all right, enough of this. You know, like I'm going to do this. And I started it a minute a day, which mm-hmm. sounds preposterous. Like what, what good is a minute a day do? And the answer is almost none. Um, but what it does is allow you to build the two. Um, I work with people I work with a lot. I'll be like, all right, 10 push-ups, five push-ups, one push-up. And they're like, that's stupid. One push-up is not going to help me meet my goal. And I'm like, well, one push-up first off is one more than you've been doing. So, you know, it's 100% improvement. Um, but it's the, I, I, you know, if you exercise, you're working your muscles. But the other muscle, the, the muscle that I think is broken in a lot of us is the ability to make a decision about what we're going to do and then actually do it. And so that's a, that's a muscle that doesn't work well in a lot of us. And like any other, it needs to be built up. I think it, it works best when you build it up slowly. So the one push-up maybe doesn't help your, your chest muscles that much, but it does help that muscle of beginning to build um, you know, some level of personal integrity that says, I said I would do this, I did it. Because for, I know for me, for a lot of my life, it's like I start and quit so many things that I don't think I even took myself seriously after a while. Like, I'm going to do this, and then there's a part of me that's like, sure you are. And so when I quit, nobody's really surprised, least of all myself. Um, and so that the learning to just do that, like, I'm going to say I'm going to do something. It'll be small enough that I know I can do it. And then I do it starts to build that, that feeling. It's a, it, there's a feeling of well-being, I think, that comes from doing that, from being congruent. Um, and then that, that expands. Yeah, that resonates with me so much. Um, just when you were explaining, you know, the, the thought of having quit so often that you just you don't even believe in yourself anymore. It's um, you know, and then you you start something. For example, about a year ago, I started jogging again. You know, just going for a short run. I probably stuck with it for six weeks, and then you know, slowly, slowly fell out of the habit. I thought, well, of course, of course, I was going to fall out of the habit. You know, I, why would I stick with it? I haven't stuck with it any other time. And it, you know, recently started up again. But the difference is that the only goal I give to myself is put on my shoes and get out the front door. That's it. And if I turn around and go back inside, um, you know, it's like I've still I've still achieved what I've set out to do. I've never once just turned around and gone back inside. Right. I go for a run, you know, and there's this big hill just near my house and every time I run to the top of it, I give myself a little rocky, you know, fist pump kind of action because yep. there's that feeling of going, well, I didn't want to do it and halfway through I'm still not wanting to do it, but I am doing it and then, you yep. know, you finish. It's it's phenomenal, that, that feeling and that buoys you onto the next, you know, the next day when you don't want to put your shoes on but you do and, yeah. 
Yeah, it really does. I mean, there's so much wisdom in, in what you just said there. I think we had a guest on, James Clear, who writes on the internet a lot about habit building. And he's got a phrase that I have just, it's sort of a, it's the variation on a little bit of something is better than a lot of nothing. It's just a little bit more eloquent. But what he says is reduce the scope, but stick to the schedule. So um, this is what, this is very good for, oh, I plan to work out for 20 minutes today. My day just blew up. I'm not going to get 20 minutes in. Okay, well, get five in. You know, reduce the scope from 20 to five, but stick to the schedule. Um, I think is so so useful. And then that thing that you said about just putting on your shoes is so important too because I don't know where the quote came from, but somebody said something like, make it so easy that you can't say no. Like break the task down to the smallest possible thing that you just can't say no. I mean, I'll do that like, all right, I'm going to do something. I don't want to do it. I do not want to clean the kitchen. It's a mess and I don't want to deal with it. All right, two minutes. I'll set a timer and say I can do it for two minutes and at two minutes I can quit. And I can almost always talk myself into getting started on a two-minute endeavor. I'm just inside. I'm like, of course, that's, you know, I can't complain too much about that. Let's do it. And like you said, 98% of the time, after two minutes, I'm in the groove and I keep going. Exactly. It's just taking that, that step, that first step and making it just so easy, so easy to, to do that you'd feel ridiculous not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's it. I mean, I just think of it as tricking myself. Yeah. I mean, that's really what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to trick myself into getting moving. And momentum is such a big thing in life, I think, both in in the very small sense, like you just said, like, okay, I've got my shoes on, I'm out the door, I've got some momentum. It's far easier than when I'm sitting on the couch. You know, it's the old physics thing, an object in motion remains in motion, an object that's not moving. And then that, so from it, it, it it applies in that very limited sense. And it also applies in the day-to-day, week-to-week sense that I did it today, so it's easier to do it tomorrow, so it's easier to do it the next day, that, that momentum rolls. But when we are at a dead stop, boy, I'll tell you, it is so hard to get going again. Um, I don't know why. I would think after as many years as I have of doing some of this stuff and knowing how good it feels that I wouldn't hit that point. But sometimes with things I do, I'm, I, become, I, I fall off a routine, I come to a dead stop on it, and it like, feels like moving, you know, parting the ocean to get started again. And, but once I'm moving with it again, it becomes very second nature and easy. I think the idea of restarting also becomes easier too. You know, it doesn't become such a such a disaster if we do fall off, you know, the, the routine yep. or the, the exercise or whatever it is. Um, it's not such a, a world shattering, you know, failure on our own behalf. We think, well, you know, let's just get started again. And it becomes easier to restart, even though it, it, it doesn't feel it. It's, um, you know, you still feel that heaviness. Yep. Yeah. You know, you can do it. Exactly. And I think, you know, James Clear, you know, he had one other line that I just, I have just pretty much stolen outright and use all the time, which is, you know, try to never miss twice. So inevitably we are going to, if you've got a busy life, things are going to come up and you're not going to do the thing you said you were going to do. I was going to work out today and my car broke down and the kid got sick and I had to pay whatever thousand things that happen in our lives. But if we can really then say, okay, if I can get back on tomorrow, um, that's so important because it's when we start missing multiple days that we get into trouble or a lot of us, it's back to that perfectionism. Well, I missed today, so, you know, screw it. Like I didn't do it. I failed. I think a lot of us with, you know, I see this with people who are trying to eat or smoke, you know, not eat, not eat poorly or smoke is 
they'll they'll mess up in the morning and then throw the whole day away. Like, well, uh, you know, f it, right? Yeah. I uh, and 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 we work on saying, well, okay, you know what? So you had you didn't have a great breakfast. You can still have a good lunch and a good dinner. You don't need to just throw all the good work that you've done away over one mistake because odds are you're gonna make one. Odds are that you're not going to be a hundred percent successful in sticking to your goal of doing something every day or all the time. Life is going to happen. It's how do you, how do you adjust and get back on as quickly as you can? Exactly. I, it's just, um, I, I think it's tied up in feelings of worthiness though too. You know, um, I know with me at least it has always been tied up in perfection and, well, you know, what did you expect? Like you did you really, did you expect to succeed that kind of thing? It's, you know, without getting too deep on it, but, um, and that's kind of looking back into the whole idea of the two wolves as well. You know, um, that's feeding the, you know, the, the unskilled, the nasty, I know you don't like that kind yep. of phrasing, but it's feeding the black wolf. No. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think, I think that, that one of the, biggest manifestations of the bad wolf in our life is that negative self-talk. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably where the majority of it is for me is in that, that voice that is, is just kind of bemoaning the state of the world and the state of myself. Um, that's where the bad wolf shows up mostly for me. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> um, so that kind of speaks to the, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is that a comparison, you know, and that's the other really strong image I get when I think about these two wolves. It's, it's the comparison, you know, um, and I think part of it is internal, uh, but also I think part of it is fueled by social media. You know, it's um, people, so many people I know struggle under this weight of comparisons. You know, they see the curated glimpses of people's perfect Instagram lives and they compare that to the deepest, darkest recesses of themselves, which no one else knows except them, you know, and we become, you know, completely weighed down by this, again, this feelings of, of not being good enough, not, you know, not comparing well to other people. And, um, I think that's, that's another huge thing that really impacts on people, uh, their happiness and their well-being. Is that something that you, uh, you see a lot of? Um, well, it's a topic that I bring up a lot on the show because, um, you know, mostly the show is driven by the things I'm interested in. And that's a big one that I'm interested in because I think, I don't know who it was who said comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. Um, because it is. Um, so I've spent a fair amount of time talking and thinking about it. So, um, yeah, I think it can be, it's a very, it can be a very bitter poison, um, and, you know, so a, a couple of thoughts on it. One is that I've, I've realized that um, wherever you are in your life, you can, if you're comparing, you can look up at people who you see as being above you and whatever that thing is, money, looks, um, you know, it doesn't matter, job, status. You can always look up and see people and you can always look down. I mean, I had an experience where I was with um, – Lewis Howes, he's got a podcast called The School of Greatness, and it's a, it's a relatively popular podcast. And I was in his apartment in Los Angeles, and I was interviewing him, and I was looking in his apartment. It's a beautiful apartment up on the f building, and I could look up above him, and I could see just these palatial estates in the Hollywood Hills that were just amazing. And then I could look down and see everybody down below, and I really just had a, a moment of like, we're always kind of in the middle on that stuff. And but but when we're looking up at some at the people or we're looking down, we're not connecting with people. 
we're, it's a way of distancing ourselves from people. And I think that satisfaction and um, that, that competition, follow, that comparison falling away happens when we connect with other people. And so we can't do it when we're in that competitive mindset. And the other thing that you said so much is you said, uh, um, you know, I'm comparing the best part of their life against my deepest, darkest part of my life. And the phrase I've always heard that is liked is that, you know, I'm comparing my insides to other people's outsides. Mm -hmm. And that is just, it never works. Um, And so, and I think social media exacerbates the situation, but I think that's always been there. I mean, it's always... um, you know, you didn't do it in the same way, but when I was in high school, you could just look at what the kid was wearing or what car he was driving or, you know, I think it's there in all of us. Um, and I think it's got, I think like a lot of things in life that cause us trouble today, it's got a strong biological wiring in us. I think there is a, there is a desire to, you know, there, there is a desire to, to fit in, to be strong, to survive. So I think it's got a biological wiring that doesn't do us a lot of good in today's world because today's world, really, you're a lot more successful in a lot of cases when you're cooperative versus competitive. Um, and so it's, a, it's, a, it's an evolutionary tendency that I think is wired there. We haven't fully outgrown and it doesn't serve us that well today. So it's something I think at least for me, I just have to work on and be cognizant of and try and recognize, all right, that's not, um, that's not helpful. And then one last thought, you, you didn't realize you were uncorking the bottle of uh, comments. But the other is we had Carol Dweck on the show and she wrote a book called Mindset. And it, basically in a, in a very short summary is that some people have a, a fixed mindset, which is like, uh, this is the way I am. I'll always be this way. I'm only this good at something. I'll never get better. It's very fixed. Other people have a growth mindset. And a growth mindset is like, well, I can always get better at this. And she said something that really struck me. And she said that people who have a fixed mindset are unable to be inspired by role models and things like that because all everything inspires a sense of jealousy in them. And that really hit me that like, Okay, so that somehow ties to this whole comparison thing that if I'm in a fixed mindset that says like I've got, I've got only these things and I've got to hang on to them really tight and I can't let people know that I make mistakes and, and you know, it's a, it's a zero-sum game, then, then comparison becomes very painful to me. And if I'm more in a growth mindset, I'm better able to relax and I'm able to look at people who I perceive as maybe having more than me or certain things. And, and for some of those people, I can look at them and that that comparison can become a positive thing. It can be a place to aspire to something to grow towards versus something to be envious or jealous or upset about. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. And I mean, I can see how people would shift between the two mindsets too, you know, of growth and fixed um, mindsets. And I, I could see myself in both of those in different sort oh, yeah. of situations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's not, it's not necessarily, you know, a static it's, thing. Right. It's not static. And you, you can have the growth mindset in one area of your life very, be very fixed mindset in another. And like you said, you can even be in, you know, one of those mindsets about the same thing at different points. I think it's more a, a way of just looking at and going, okay, how am I viewing this situation, this world? And, you know, the growth mindset is one that is very um, empowering. Yeah, it really is. Because, you know, I often, I guess this is probably telling a bit about my mindset, but I I think about, um, I've always thought about comparison as something that I should, you know, encourage myself not to dip into. Because like you said at the beginning of your comment, you know, um, we can either look up or down. Uh, and, and first of all, that means that we're not connected. But also, 
if you're looking constantly looking up at people, you know, you're putting yourself below them, which is not good for yourself and for, you know, being able to say, hey, but, I, you know, I'm good at things. I do things well. I'm, I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a good person in and of my own right. But if you're always looking down on people, that's an ego thing too, which is not a healthy mm-hmm. way to be, you know, yep. comparing yourself to other people, putting yourself above them. I think, I don't know which one is, is, you know, worse. I think they're both really toxic in their own way, but that's sort of why to me, comparison is something that I've just tried incredibly hard not to, in, not to enter into. And of course, you know, every day I fail in some capacity, but <laughs> you know, um, at least I'm aware of it, but yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think that will inform the way I think about it from, from here on out. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm really mindful of your time um, and it's been such a great chat. I feel like I could talk to you for, you know, another hour. But um, from all the interviews, this would be my last question, um, from your interviews for the show and the work that you do, um, I know that you focus a lot on, on people who are you know, consciously creating good, fulfilling lives and, and, you know, feeding the good wolf, the white wolf. Uh, what is one of the, the most common factors in those people who are you know, successfully feeding the, the white wolf? What's something you um, see in most of them? I think that – can I give you two? Please. <laughs> <laughs> I think that apparently I could talk to you for hours too because I'm, <laughs> I just seem to have a motor mouth. Um, I think one is awareness, um, awareness that that – that at any moment we are making choices about our lives and what we do. And so I think the people that most consistently um, feed the good wolf, and I think feeding the good wolf is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. And the, the means to that end, or the, that end is to, is to have a life that feels, um, you know, the, the tagline we use is conversations about creating a life worth living. So, you know, you're feeding the good wolf to get to that place. And I think the people that are in that place and do those things, they have, a lot of them have a real sense of awareness that that is something that needs to be done, that choices are being made, that by not thinking about it as a choice in itself and being conscious of how they spend their time, their energy, what they think about, what they do. So that con- that awareness and that consciousness is a real big one. And then I think the other is probably the idea that we don't have to be – we don't have to feel like doing something to do it. That one just comes up over and over and over again about um, – that if you if you do the right things in life, if you keep taking the right behaviors, your life is pretty good. Um, and that not everybody feels like doing those things all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's if you can learn to if you can learn to do those things even when you don't feel like it, that is such a powerful skill to have. And so if there were, you know, two things that I think are are most paramount, those would be the two that come to mind. They are so powerful. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm stopping myself from diving back into it because, um, you know, they're, they're things that I'm often asked about, particularly the second one. You know, a lot of people who, um, who listen to the show and also who uh, write to me are asking about simplifying their lives and, and creating a slower pace of life, you know, and um, a lot of it comes down to uh, not a lot of it, but one of the the main things that that I hear time and time again, and usually it's not a direct question, but it's more like a reading in between the lines. People don't know how to make forward progress when 
they don't want to do it or when, you know, things mm-hmm. are, when it's too difficult. And the, you know, the really overly simplistic and probably annoying answer is you do it anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, like we went going back to the beginning of our conversation, you choose something to do for two minutes and you do it anyway. Uh, yep. And it's just that, that con- consistent discipline, I think, is really, yeah, it's really important and really powerful. Yeah, I think it is. And I think it's, it's, it's important to recognize that um, I don't think that's as much of an inborn tendency as people think it is. People tend to say things like, I'm not the kind of person who follows through, or I always start things and finish things, or I, you know, we, we think that's a thing about who we are. And my experience is really that the ability to build good habits and do all that discipline is certainly a you know part of it or motivation is a part of it um but there's a lot more to it and that lot more to it can be taught there's a there's a you know there's a theory of behavior change out there that says our behavior is a combination you know of our motivation our ability and our trigger so our motivation is are we motivated to do it and so sometimes that's you know we can work on the motivation um but it's the ability do i know how to do the thing that i'm trying to do um you know, I worked with a guy recently. He's just overwhelmed by his workload. He's getting, a, you know, he's getting his PhD in um, genetics, and he's just he's he's freaked out. He didn't have the ability to organize his time, so he was finding himself not being productive. It wasn't that he was lazy. It wasn't that he is not. You know, he just didn't know how. And then, you know, and then triggers. Do I put things in my life that remind me that I want to do those things? You know, another ability is like you said, the ability to break it down to something so small that I can do the ability to to trick myself. And so I think it's so important for people to realize that, you know, you're not necessarily that way just because you've been that way in the past doesn't mean that you're always that way. And most of us can probably look at a time in our life where we were motivated and effective and did things that we wanted to do. We haven't always been that way. And so it's really about, do I have the ability? Do I have the right triggers? Do I have the, 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 the structures in my life that make this easier to do instead of just writing it off and saying, oh, I'm not able to do it? Yeah, exactly. It's, I, I really like that. So um, not only the, the motivation, but also the ability, the knowledge, the skills. So, yeah. Yep. Um, so I'm biting back all my other questions now. <laughs> I just, <laughs> um, this, was, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for, for sitting down and chatting with me. I think uh, people really enjoy our conversation. Um, and people, I will, I will link to uh, your podcast and also the episodes that you mentioned. I have listened to the James Clear one, uh, which is just epically amazing i, I yeah. kept stopping it and taking notes um, that's one of my favorites oh yeah. he's just phenomenal you know he just is able to extrapolate these complex issues that i would probably take years to kind of formulate my thoughts on and just you know he makes his own parables <laughs> yeah <laughs> he does he's he's very good at what he does he is so i will i will include links to to those shows as well in the show notes but uh eric thank you so much Thank you, Brooke. I really appreciate it. I have uh, really enjoyed this conversation, too. Wonderful. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the Slow Home Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe via iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for listening.